totally twisted. because I hate roller coasters. And about 10 years ago, for some reason, although I loved them my whole life, my body told me, you can't ride them anymore. So when that ride was over, I ran to the bathroom. I just want you to know. You know what? We actually are in a new series called Colossal. And uh, this ride, the Twisted Colossus, right here at Magic Mountain, it was unveiled in 1978. And at the time, it was the largest most massive, tallest roller coaster in the whole world. Now, today, not so much. It's a new ride. They've revamped it, and it's really, really cool. I'd encourage you to go ride it if you like roller coasters. But the word colossal means big, grand, significant. And, you know, we're going to go through and study the book of Colossians. And we're going to learn why it's important, why it's grand, why it's massive, why it's important. Important. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to, first, uh, to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 1. So if you have your phones, your Bible, those of you joining us online, we have people in Great Britain, we have people in Austria, we have people in St. Louis, Missouri, Shreveport, Louisiana. We're so glad you're with us. Grab your Bibles, your phones, your iPads, turn to Colossians chapter 1. As you're turning there, let me just say a couple things. First of all, I want to say a big thank you to Pastor Wayman. Last weekend he preached on Father's Day. Didn't he do a great job? Yeah. We're so blessed to have so many amazing ministers to share the word here at Higher Vision. I also want to thank Pastor Brandon and, uh, for the week before. And I do want to say, I know last week Pastor Wayman shared a, uh, an apology on behalf of the church. There was an illustration that we felt like crossed the line. And so I just want to, again, say that sometimes things happen that you didn't plan. Anybody ever have that happen? And, uh, but the theme of the message was forgiveness. So I hope that you'll have a heart of forgiveness rather than a heart of offense and understand that sometimes we're in process and so we get better as things go along. And so I know his heart was to share something that would transform your heart and life from the word. So thank you for receiving that apology. You know, as a church, sometimes you may feel like we're just kind of going week to week and kind of just show up and what's happening now. But I want you to know something, that we have a vision. God has given us a higher vision the beginning of this year, the theme was look up. And look up has to do, in fact, the, the verse that we use as our theme comes from the book of Colossians. We're going to get to it in a few weeks. And what it talks about is changing your perspective and mindset from living with a worldly or an earthly perspective and instead having an eternal, a heavenly, a spiritual perspective. And we got to look up and live differently. Not live down, but live up seeing what God has. And as a church, let me tell you, one of the, the patterns that we follow as a church is that usually in the spring and in the fall is a season of numerical growth for us. We typically have lots of people come visit the church. This Easter, as you know, over Easter week, we had 6,300 people on our campus. It was amazing. We had hundreds of people accept Christ. And so in the spring and the fall, in fact, in the fall, we're getting ready to see it again in September, Church at the Movies. Anybody remember last week, Church at the Movies? Wasn't that fun? We had hundreds of people come. We had tons of people get saved. It's going to be amazing. So in the spring and the fall, we tend to preach more topical messages that are around certain themes. In the summer, however, 
we're in a season of growth as well. It's not a numerical growth, it's a spiritual growth. So typically every summer we do more of an expository sermon series. We take a book. Last year we didn't take a book, but we took the concept of worship and I taught through much of the book of Psalms or parts of the Psalms that relate to worship. This summer we're going to take the book of Colossians and over the next several weeks we're going to go through this book and we're going to try to grab a chapter every week. Now we may need to break some of those chapters up, but the goal is to continue growing as a church. This is part of our vision. And our growth, we're believing, is going to be a deeper spiritual growth that happens. We have people that are gone on vacation, but this is the time to focus in and continue that spiritual journey and growth that God has for us. So we're on a path. We're on a journey. Anybody ready? Buckle up and go for the ride. How many know life's a roller coaster? It has ups and downs. So let's have an up. Everybody stand to their feet. We're going to read this book of Colossians, we're going to begin with verse 1 and go through verse 3, and I want you to join me. Lift your voice, those of you online, why don't you stand right there in your home or wherever you are, and let's declare these words. This is Paul speaking to the church in Colossae. There were Christians who were in the city of Colossae, and he was writing a letter to them. This letter was written not just by his own information, but it was by the, led by the Spirit of God. And so it's part of God's word because he was giving instruction to Christians in Colossae. And so we're going to receive and hear those instructions. So let's all read together. You ready? This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you just close your eyes? And I want you to do this. I want you to open your heart. Open your heart. Holy Spirit, we invite you now. You're here already when we gather in the name of Jesus the presence of of Christ is right among us and so you're here we know Jesus you're here we know the presence of the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of that but we want to make room for you we want to yield to you Holy Spirit I ask that there would be an increase of the voice of God in this place that my voice would diminish but the voice of God would increase and be bold and strong and it would speak past hurt and it would speak past confusion it would speak past disappointment It would speak past deception and it would go to the very inner part of our spirit and implant and impregnate us with the living truth of Christ. And through that truth, knowing that truth, we will be free. Just take a moment. Take a moment with God. Holy Spirit, we worship you. Say this with me. Say, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we dive into this book, Colossians, thank you, April. As we dive in, one of the things we're going to discover is that this book is relevant for today. And I'm going to talk to you about why it's relevant. But before we're able to glean the truth that's in this book, it helps us to know a little bit about the town of Colossae. Um, and the Christians that were there. It helps us to know a little bit about the culture of the day. As we know, this was written by Paul to Christians who were in Colossae. Paul had never been to Colossae. He'd never visited the church of the Colossians. Epaphras was the pastor of the church. You see, this city, it resided in a region called Phrygia at the time, or in the Roman Empire, it was known as Asia Minor. Today, if you were to visit this the the remains of this city, it would be in the country of Turkey. It was about 100 miles east of Ephesus, and that's important because Paul had an extended stay in Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, he preached the gospel. God was doing some amazing things there. And what would happen is people from cities in that region would come to hear Paul speak. 
they would get saved and then they would take the message that they received back to their city. One of those men was Epaphras. Epaphras came back to Colossae and he shared the message. He planted a church and this church began to thrive in the city of Colossae. It was near two other cities. One was Hierapolis and another one was Laodicea. Some of you may remember the city of Laodicea. It's spoken about, in fact, God had a message to the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelations. These three cities, Heriopolis and Laodicea and Colossae, were very close to one another, and they resided close to a river called the Lyker River. And this region was known for two things. The first thing they were known for, we can all understand, and that is they were known for earthquakes. Laodicea had been destroyed multiple times through earthquakes. The second thing they were known for was the Lyker River was known to leave great salt deposits on its banks. And so because of that, this, these salt deposits were perfect ingredients for creating dyes to dye material in wood and wool. And so because of the fact that there was a river there and there were lush, um, fertile plains, they would raise sheep. Colossi was known. In fact, the word Colossi comes from a Latin word, colissinus, which means purple wool. And so the city of Colossae, what they would do is they had lots of herders that raised sheep. The sheep then would be sheared and they would take the wool and then use the dye to dye the material to then be traded with Ephesus and all of the cities and towns in their region. And so the town began to thrive and grow. The reason that we have a book to the city of Colossae is because Epaphras as the pastor of this congregation began to be worried about his people. And he was so worried that he took a journey, and that journey was somewhere between 1,000 and 1,300 miles. He went from Colossae to Rome. The reason he went to Rome is because Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Many of you know Paul, much of, or part of his life was spent in prison. That's why a third of the New Testament books were written by Paul, because God had put him in that position to give him the opportunity and time to transcribe and write the messages that needed to be recorded and sent to the church so that we would understand what God was saying to us as those who are a part of the church. How many know that you and I are a part of the church, part of the body of Christ? Now, as you can tell, I'm going to do a lot more teaching over the next few weeks. Sometimes I'm preaching, sometimes I'm teaching. There's going to be a little bit more teaching today. So Epaphras is so worried that he travels. Now, remember, there's no planes, trains, or automobiles. He travels somewhere, depending on the route he took, between 1,000 and 1,300 miles to get to Rome and share with Paul his concern about what was his concern. There was a heresy a false teaching that was starting to influence the Christians, a false mentality was starting to influence the Christians that lived in Colossae. And he was worried that they were going to buy into this belief system, that they were going to be infiltrated by the culture that they lived in, and it was going to water down their effectiveness, their relationship with God. So he came to Paul as the apostle of Christ and said, Paul, write a letter to instruct and help them understand what they need to know and what they should do. And so Paul, that's why at the beginning he says, this is a letter from Paul. In our letters, we end with our name at the bottom. In that day, you began with your name. This letter is from Paul. And then who was it to? The Christians in Colossae. And as you notice, he put in there, an apostle of God by the will of God. He was declaring, I have the authority to speak this truth into your life. And I want to tell you today, as your pastor, when I'm preaching you today, I don't stand in my authority. I have the authority to declare what I'm declaring to you today. And it is absolute truth, not because of me, but because it was written, it was given to us by the creator of the world. Jesus Christ is the word. He is the truth. And we can stand on him. So I'm giving you truth today. Somebody say amen. So. We're going to dive into the book of Colossians. Anybody excited? Now, why? Now, maybe the first question that you're asking is, well, Pastor Jared, what does this book have to do with me? I mean, I live in the 20th century. You know, that was over 2,000 years ago. It was so much different. What does that have to do with me today? Well, let me give you a few thoughts. Why this book is so important and so current. In fact, why this book is colossal. 
why it's massive, why it's important, why it's significant. One reason is because we live in an age of science. Now, if you're taking notes, why don't you write that down? The age of science. If you're not taking notes, why don't you write that down? <laughs> the age of science. You see, we live in a, day to, a, a world today where knowledge and scientific um, uh, study and, and discovery is increasing faster than it ever has before. And so then the question becomes is, where does God, where does Jesus fit in to science? And as you read this book, you'll discover in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, when we read it in a few moments, it says, for through Christ, God created everything in the heavenly and earthly realms. In other words, God is a part, he's involved in science. So in an age of science, Jesus is relevant. Somebody say amen. We also live in an, an age of ecumenism. And in this age, we live in a world where people are working really hard to try to bring people together, but trying to bring all the religions of the world together. I even recently saw that the, the Pope, I, I heard a person who was in relationship with the new Pope and how that he was reaching out to the Protestants and saying, really, you guys are Catholic and we need to come back together as one. And he was trying to unite them. And then I recently saw that the Pope, he said some things about Allah and was trying to, to bridge the gap. And, and we have people, and here's the reality, is in the name of peace, we want to merge people on the behalf of philanthropy and culture and enterprise but the question is, if people are trying to bring these religions, all these religions together as one, what are the, the beliefs and what is the basis of a world religion? And who's in charge of it? And who's the authority? Because that's going to happen more and more as we get closer to the end of the age. There's going to be a desire to bring it all together. How is Colossians important? Well, because Colossians says in well, chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church. In other words, Jesus is the head of the church. And he's the one that we should be listening to. So in an age of ecumenism, this book is relevant. We also live in an age of no authority. We live in a world where people... Deny an absolute authority or an absolute truth. In fact, all authority in general is suspect. Nothing is sacred. The, over, the overthrow of everything is allowable, if not possible. Everyone can believe what they want. No rules, no ex just experience is what matters. Jesus is just another prophet with another truth, but he's not the authority. We live in an age where there is no authority. But Colossians says in chapter 1, verse 15, Christ is the visible image of an invisible God and is supreme over all creation. This book is relevant. This book is colossal. We also live in an age, and I heard this, this part of the teaching from a pastor, and I thought it was great, and that's why I'm sharing it with you. We live in an age of frustrated relationships. People are looking for meaningful, fulfilling relationships. And as you read in Colossians chapter 3, it tells us about husbands and wives and how they relate to one another. It tells us about children and how they relate to their parents. It tells us about masters and slaves, which today would relate to employees and employers and how we relate to one another. It's a book filled with how do we have meaningful, fulfilling relationships. This book is important. It's relevant and it's colossal. Somebody say amen. The last thing I want to just point out is that we live in an age of, of eschatology, an eschatological age. You see, all you have to do is go to the movies and you realize that man has this predisposition to believe that one day we're going to destroy ourselves. That Armageddon is coming. That we're going to blow ourselves up with atomic bombs. We're going to destroy the atmosphere with our cars and because of oil consumption. And we're going to kill ourselves and one day it's all going to be over. How does it end? When does it end? We live in an age of eschatology. But if you read in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 4, it says, When Christ shall appear, we will appear with him. In other words, Jesus is the coming king. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. He knows what's supposed to happen and he is king. He is the climax. He is the ultimate one who brings it all into fulfillment. This book is colossal. Somebody say amen. So we're going to dive in to Colossians 
because this book is relevant to you and I, and we're going to learn some truths, and I have two points that I want to focus on today. They may seem simplistic, but they're important as we dive through because as we study through a book, what we do is don't create a topic and then look at the scripture in relation to that topic. When we go more of an expository approach and work through a book, we let the the, the text give us what the topic is. Y'all with me? So we're going to start with chapter one. Here's point number one. I want you to write this down. All of you joining us online, why don't you write this down? Point one is this. Christ is good news. Christ is good news. Everybody say good news. Everybody say good news. Yeah, that's good. Very interactive today. I want to read to you what it says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 4. Paul says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Paul is saying, listen, Epaphras has come. He's told us how you love Jesus, how that you, you know, put your faith in Christ, your love for Jesus, your faith in him. We've heard about it. And then he says this. He says, which came, which comes from your confident hope of what God has rescued you for, reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the what? Of the what? This same, what? This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Now, when we read this first part of the letter, here's what we discover is that Paul basically says this. You've heard the good news. And it is the good news that is transforming and changing your life. Now, that's important. Now, let's talk about what is the good news. Because maybe, you know, you know, this word good news is also translated gospel. How many have ever heard of, you know, that's the gospel truth? So what is the gospel? Or what is the good news? Well, it would help for us to have a little understanding of this phrase in Greek language. In the Greek language, this word is the word euangelion. And euangelion is a, is a, a word that we get our word in the English, evangel or evangelize. But it's a technical term for good news, gospel, good news. Now, it's a term that we find not only in biblical uh, history, but we find it in non-biblical history. And as we look at it from a non-biblical historical perspective, it gives us some better insight into what the good news is, all right? You see, the word good news was connected to a battle, In the day that this was written, you know, in Greece, there were several city-states. So every city had its own standing army. And those standing armies would go out at times and do battle, fight to protect their land or whatever. And so when the battle would take place, there was no telegrams, there were no, you know, cell phones, there was no texting. So if you wanted to know how the battle was going, if your son lived or died, if we won or we're going to be taken over by another city or another nation and be servants to them, you waited for the news. And the way that the news came was through a messenger. And as you waited in expectation, oftentimes on the horizon, you would see a figure appear and they would come running from the battle. And when they ran into the city, just their appearance usually told you what the news was. If they were smiling, if they were, um, you know, had their spear out with a laurel wreath hanging on it, if they had a crown or something on their head, if they were waving a palm branch, then joy would fill the city because the messenger would come and say, we have won. And obviously, if he came depressed and sad, with no you know, palm branch, the message was, we, has lo- we have lost. So this word euangelion is the word that was connected or used when the messenger showed up into the city saying, we've won. So let me tie this all together for a minute now. 
you know, we, we understand that the Bible tells us, according to Paul, that you're transformed by the good news. So what is for us as Christians, then, the good news. Go with me. I'll show you an example of that where Paul clarifies it in another book. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 4 says this. Paul says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the what? The what? He said, let me remind you of the good news I preached to you before. Verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important. This is the summation of the good news. I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So the good news is simply this. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried, but he rose again Death has been defeated. Sin has been conquered. We won. The good news was the best news. It was the thing that created joy. The the point is, is that you and I, why every week do I give an opportunity for people to raise their hand? It's because I get the chance every day to stand up here and swing the palm branch and wave my hands with joy on my face and say, we've won. Death has been defeated. Sin has been destroyed. We have been forgiven. You see, sin separates us from salvation. And listen, salvation isn't just going to heaven one day. That's part of salvation. Salvation is God restoring to man what was taken through sin by the devil in the garden. So you get a close relationship with God. You get to walk in his provision and his purpose. Salvation is for now and for eternity. And here's the good news. Though we thought we had been defeated, we thought that the devil had conquered and won. Guess what? I'm showing up this morning. I'm swinging the palm branch to tell you I have good news. Jesus has conquered it all and we have won through Christ. Somebody say amen. Now, here's what's important. Is the good news is the fact that Jesus has conquered And I want you to hear Jesus' own words because this is important. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's the next two words? What are they? You know what that means? Thank you very much. No one, never in history, from the beginning of time to the end of time, no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus is the good news. There is no other path. There is no other religion. There is no other philosophy. Jesus is the good news. This is, I'm going to dive into this, but this is what Paul is reiterating that he's so worried about for these Christians who are going to potentially be influenced that maybe there are other things. You know, it reminds me of the story of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon tells a story how that there were two men that were in a boat and they lost their paddles. And the boat had, was on a, a river that had rapids that went down to a waterfall. And these men are on their way. They're trying to, you know, get free and trying to get the boat to the side. They can't do it and they know they're headed to their death. If they get out of the boat, they're still going to go to their death. Well, some men on the side, they see them and they run to the side of the river and they grab a rope and they throw it out to the boat. And when they throw it out to the boat, one of the men, as he jumps, he grabs a hold of the rope. Another man, as he jumps, as he's going towards the rope, sees a big log um, and he, instead of grabbing the rope, grabs a hold of the log. The man who is holding the rope, what happens? They draw him into shore and he's saved. The man who grabbed the log, which was right there, it seemed convenient, seemed to make sense. It floated. It'd keep him above the river, floated down the river and was never seen again. You see, what Paul was worried about is that you and I, all of us, are, we have the temptation that when people come along with philosophies and ideas or, or whatever it might be, the question is, are you grabbing a hold of the rope or have you suddenly started grabbing a hold of a log? 
Because if anything that you're trusting in, if anything you're believing in is anything other than Jesus, who is the good news, then you're going to go downstream rather than go to the shore. Why? Because faith is connected to Christ. Remember at the beginning, Paul says, I'm excited because of your faith in Jesus. What does the scripture tell us? Jesus told us a story that you can build your life on the sand or the rock. The rock represented him, Jesus, the truth, the word, the good news. And he said, if you live, if you live your life on the sand, there's going to be things that will come and it will destroy you. But if you live your life on the rock, if you grab the right foundation, Acts chapter 16 says, believe on the Lord. That word is a preposition. It's called epi and it means this. It means a foundation that is secure. You see, we live in a culture right now where everybody's got a philosophy. Everybody's got a concept. And the way to salvation, the way to happiness, the way to fulfillment, the way to peace forever, for some it's self-improvement, for some it's taking care of your body, for some it's eating certain foods, for some it's a secret knowledge that Oprah used to talk about and others, and there's all of these things, or for some it's a religion that they've discovered that helps them to connect with their inner self and whatever it might be. But here's the scary thing, just like today, because this is relevant today, in that day there was an influence that wanted to get people to try somehow to, to put their faith, to, to, to put their eternity connected to something else besides Jesus or just add Jesus to it or just substitute some with Jesus. And I'm going to here to tell you something. There is only one source of good news. There's only one foundation. There's only one path that will get you to heaven and let you live your best life now. And his name is Jesus because Christ is good news. Paul said it in Galatians. He said, if anyone comes and preaches any other gospel, if they introduce any other Jesus, let them be accursed. I can't tell you how many Christians that I know that I'll have conversations with, and suddenly they're backtracking. Well, you know, I know that, you know, that, that we believe the way we believe and we have the Bible, but what about all those other people that don't know Jesus? And suddenly we start going through all these intellectual exercises. Suddenly, and you see, that's the danger. You see, the heresy, and let me dive into point number two. If you get ready, you're going to write this down. You see, the heresy that was influencing the church was two things. One was the seeds of what developed into what's called Gnosticism. And I'll explain what that is. So in the beginning, there was an influence of Gnosticism. There was also, and we're going to talk about this next week, there was the influence of of Judaistic ritualism or ceremonialism. So we're going to talk about that next week. I want to give you the second point, though, as we dive into explaining this. You all with me? So the first point Paul's giving is Christ is good news. And here's the second one. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. You see, what happened is, is there was the beginnings of what developed into Gnosticism. And let me explain it, and then I'm going to read this, the rest of this chapter with you. You see, the Greeks in that culture, they loved knowledge, and they loved philosophy, and they loved to debate and be philosophical, and what happened is, is because of their love for intellect, it got to the point where they began to say, well, wait a minute, this gospel message is just too simplistic. It seems too simple. You know, if God is God, he's complex. It can't be that simple that Jesus was the son of God and died for our sins and was the sacrificial lamb and saved the world and just faith in him is what saves us. That's too simple. There's got to be more. And what they began to believe is they began to philosophize. I don't even know if that's a word, but I just made it up. And um, as they began to, I'm going to say it again because it was cool, philosophize. As they began to do that, here's what they said. Well, God is good. And if God is good, here's what we know, is that matter, people, earth, all of that is evil. So if he's good, how could good produce evil? So intellectually, that doesn't make sense. So what they developed was this idea that later became known as Gnosticism, which was that, that God then knew that there needed to be a way for this evil to connect with good. And so he spawned off all of these sub-gods. 
And these sub-gods were spawned off. And as they were spawned off, Jesus was one of the good ones. But as they kept spawning, they got worse and worse and worse until there was so much evil that they had these evil sub-gods that they were evil enough that they could then create matter, which was evil. That way, God was insulated from evil. But in order for evil to get to God and the good, you couldn't go to these demons and spiritual forces and all of that because they couldn't get you to God. And Jesus, he was a good guy. He was a good God, but he wasn't enough to get you there either. So they worshiped angels and through you know, self-denial and discipline and through worshiping all these beings, somehow with the help of these beings and Jesus, eventually they would help you then get to God who was good. You see, all of this marked at the heart of simply this. Jesus isn't enough. I want to read to you what we find in Corinthians chapter 1. Let's keep reading. I want you to really pay attention. It's easy to zone off because there's a lot of scripture here. But I want you to pay close attention because there's some great truth in here. I wish I could preach on all of it. Anybody learn anything today? Say amen. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Paul goes on. So we have not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. They're worried that they're going to be influenced by their culture. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Anybody want to know God better and better? We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. Now look, it says, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. What is he doing? He's hitting at the heart of the fact that God reached down to evil. He reached past all of these sub-gods and he rescued us out of darkness and brought us to the light. And he did it through his son, Jesus, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through God, or for through him, Jesus, the good news, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made it all. What is he doing? He's addressing this deception that they were buying into. Jesus is enough. He he created the world. He made the things we can see, or for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Now he's talking about spiritual authorities because there are other beings. There are demons and there are angels. We know that in scripture. So what does he say? He said, he made these things we can see and the things we can't see, such as kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen realm. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Jesus is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. Jesus is enough. For God is all his fullness. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Jesus. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself. I'd love to preach on reconciliation. I don't have time. Reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Somebody say amen for that promise. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. See, what Paul is saying is this. Listen, he's saying Christ is the good news and Christ is enough. 
You don't need all these other things. You don't need other religions. You don't need self-help books. You don't need the secret. You don't need that religious and, and pull some stuff in from there. What you need is Jesus because Jesus is supreme. He runs it all. He created it all. Jesus is enough. Second Chronicles chapter, or Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 and 4. I'm going to read this. Look what he says. It's the same idea. He says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to who? Christ. To who? Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches any Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, well, he's a good guy. He was one of the prophets. One translation says this, that Peter said, or Paul says, even if an angel comes, isn't it interesting that there are other religions like Islam or like um, the Mormon church that they believe an angel appeared to someone and gave them a new book with a new message and a new theme. What did Paul say? He knew it was coming. He said, if anyone shows up, even an angel that preaches a Jesus that is different than what we have preached or any gospel that is different from the one we preached that you accepted. And he goes on to say, you put up with it. I'm worried that you let it, you, you, you entertain it. You let it influence you. You see, what Paul's saying is you can trust in one thing and one thing only, Jesus. And if you try to add anything to it, you're missing the mark You're, because Jesus is enough. You don't need anything else. You don't need another philosophy. You don't need another religion. Jesus is enough. He's supreme. He holds it all together. He's put it in place, and you can trust in him. Don't be influenced. And you can tell why this book is so important for us today. You know, I want to take a moment right now, and I want to show you a video. But before I show you that video, I want to say one thing. I know that there are a lot of people who are really concerned and worried about the ruling that just came out in the Supreme Court. And obviously we have concern because it erodes traditional family values and what we believe the Bible teaches us. And I want to tell you that, tell you that the scripture said we can't add to the scripture. That we have to allow Jesus, he's the truth and what God has given us as the word, that is the foundation of how we live. We can't add to it. And even though our culture says, well, this is okay and that's okay and we should do this, we've got to stay grounded on truth. Now, if you're worried, let me just tell you something. We don't need traditional family values. We don't need a godly president or not godly president. We don't need a godly Supreme Court or not godly Supreme Court for the gospel of Jesus Christ to change and transform lives. I want you to know that. The kingdom of God has advanced in the worst of situations and in the best. So here's the thing. It doesn't matter what happens around us. It doesn't matter, how, it doesn't matter what other people believe. What matters is that you and I cling to the fact that Jesus is enough and his truth is what we stand on. Now, let me say one more thing. You know, I, I woke up this morning. Um, I had a dream. And as I woke up this morning in this dream, um, the Lord showed me some things. I was with a friend of mine and we were singing some old songs about the spirit of God. And in fact, I got up and I started listening to those songs as I was getting ready this morning. And I was praying and meditating and I was thinking about kind of this decision in America and people being concerned with where is the family gonna go and you know, what's gonna happen. And I wanna say two things. The first thing that I felt like the Lord said to me was simply this. Jared, you don't need to walk in, ang in anxiousness and worry. For where sin does abound, grace does that much more abound. And I want you to know something, that if our culture goes sideways, if things get crazy out there, we already know they already have, guess what? In the midst of that craziness, I believe there's going to be a release of God's spirit and power and revival will sweep across the hearts of people who are open and who are hungry. And so today, don't worry. Don't, don't, don't cling to the rock, Jesus, and watch. Watch how over the next decade, God begins to pour out his spirit in a powerful and a fresh way. And I want to say another thing. I want to say this. There's a lot of people who are anxious and ready to get on a soapbox and begin to say all the things that they want to say and how wrong that lifestyle is and 
all of those things. And as you know, we stand on what the Bible teaches us. We're not swaying from that. But I want want to say this. We need to be careful how we talk. And here's why. Because there's going to come a day in the future, maybe not culturally, because culture has political correctness and believe things that aren't even true. But personally, there's going to come a day where people who follow that mentality of truth are going to wake up and realize that it's not the life they thought it would be. And listen, when that moment happens, where are they going to run? They're going to run to a place that is loving, that hasn't got up on a soapbox and pointed their finger and told them how wrong they were. They're going to run to the place that has demonstrated the love of Jesus, stood true to what we believe, and continued to grow and stand on the principles of God. So be careful what you say and what you do because you want to leave a bridge for lives to be transformed because I'm telling you, people are going to come and they're going to see that God's word is true and they're going to see that we can stand and that Jesus is enough. Can somebody say amen? You may feel like everything's falling apart. You may feel like it's all falling apart around you. I want you to know Christ is enough. Take a look at this video, and then I'm going to share something with you. He said, well, what's next for you? I said, I'm going to be preaching the next two Sundays for my pastor back in Atlanta. He said, oh, cool. What are you preaching on? I said, well, the series is on the glory of God and the human body. He said, that's really amazing. I'm a molecular biologist at the university down the road. Give me your talk. And I was like, oh, wow, I wasn't quite yet ready to unload the talk for a molecular biologist. So I kind of stumbled through what I had, and he's kind of being kind and gracious and like, "Uh uh-huh, that's good. And then he says, well, what's your big left hook? You got to have a left hook, a big finish, right? I said, I don't have a left hook yet. He said, oh, Louie, oh, man, your left hook is laminin. And I'm I'm totally blank on laminin. He goes, Louie, it's a cell adhesion molecule. Protein molecule? Do you know about proteins? I'm like, no. He said, Louis, cells organize into certain molecular structures, and that determines what protein there are. There are between 10 and 60,000 proteins in the human body. We don't even know how many proteins are in the human body. But one of them is a cell adhesion molecule. It's organized into this certain structure, and that tells the cell what its job is in the body. And this one is a cell adhesion molecule. And I'm like, all right. He said, no, Louie, it's like the rebar of the human body. The steel they put in the concrete when they lay the foundations of things, it's that stuff. It's, it's holding your membranes together. It's the glue of the human body, Louie. It's laminin. You've got to tell them about laminin. And I'm like, I promise you, I'm going home and tell them about laminin. And I'm sure when I do, revival is going to sweep across the church and probably around the world when I tell them. He said, no, 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 no. You've got to see laminin. Here is a scientific diagram of the laminin cell adhesion molecule that's holding your body together right now. Okay, this is what I found right here. No, come on, that's crazy. That's just crazy. He said, you want to see an actual laminin molecule? I'm like, oh no, man, the diagram was cool for me. I'm happy with that. Don't, don't bother sending anything else. I'm like, yes! And he sends me this image, an electron microscopic image of an actual laminin protein molecule. It looks just like this. I'm like, how crazy is that? That the stuff that holds our bodies together, that's holding the lining of your organs together, holding your skin on, is in the perfect shape of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately I'm thinking about the words of Paul in Colossians 1. You know this beautiful passage where Paul's talking about the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. He says, for by him, talking about Jesus Christ, all things have been created, things in heaven and things on earth. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. 
But then the next verse goes on to say this. It's crazy. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, that is in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. It's right, it's right there. I'm like, of course they do. Of course they do. We realize that scientifically the correlation that literally the thing that is holding everything together in the universe, even in your body, the scripture says, is Jesus. Could it be that your marriage is still together, not because of your hard work and your therapy, but because of Jesus? Could it be that you still have a job and you're able to provide, even though maybe your company is downsizing, but Jesus is the one holding you together? Could it be that you've lost your job and you don't even know how you're making it, but you're making it and everything should have fallen apart, but it hasn't completely fallen apart because you're still breathing, you're still okay, you're still making it because Jesus is enough. Jesus is the good news. He's what holds us all together. And I want to say, if you're in this room, if you're watching online, the only way that you can position yourself to know that in the future, in this life, that whatever you face, you're going to make it. That whatever you face, you're going to be okay. Is if you make sure that you're holding on to the right thing. Are you grabbing the rope or are you grabbing the log? Have you bought into the culture? Have you bought into, well, you know, I know this issue with the Supreme Court. Well, you know, civil rights and it's discrimination, whatever it might be. We can always, through logic and intelligence, try to come up with what, what with what we think is right. But you but see, the Bible says that man thinks he knows the way, but the end leads to death. So what I'm going to stand on and what this church's foundation is going to stand on is not the next great philosophy, the next great thought. It's Jesus. And let me say, if you're here and maybe you're in a same-sex relationship or you have a same-sex attraction that you're struggling through, Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and that's not for you, but you don't know where you stand on the whole issue. Listen, we're glad you're here. And we want you to come because how is someone's life going to be changed if they don't have a place to come and experience the presence of God and hear the truth? Because here's what the Bible says, that there are strongholds that are in our mind. And the Bible says that our weapons are to, to tear down every stronghold. And every stronghold is a pretension and argument that sets itself up against the knowledge and will of God. And so many times in life, we live with a mindset that's contrary to what God teaches. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, in time, as you draw close to him, he's going to reveal himself to you, and he's going to reveal truth to you. Remember Paul? Paul thought Christ was, was, a, 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 it was heresy, and he was killing Christians, but God broke into his life and changed his way of thinking. And I want you to know today, if you're here, we're glad you're here. Wherever you are on that journey, keep coming, and, and we love you, and God loves you, and he has a plan for you. And we're not here to judge you, but what we are to do is we're here to say, listen, God loves you. He has a plan, and open your life to him. Get to know him better. And watch and see what he'll do for you. And if you're here and, and you're struggling because you think everything's falling apart, know something today. Jesus holds it all together. You don't have to worry about America. You don't have to worry about your family. You don't have to worry about the economy. Because ultimately, we put our trust not in horses, not in chariots. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Jesus.